Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. Glad to have you with us as we continue our study of the book of Isaiah. As we get started on this Monday, the 22nd of August, year of our Lord Jesus 2022, I just want to remind you, it's a good day. Today is a really, really good day. There's a lot of voices out there that want to convince you otherwise. They want you to be discouraged. They want you to be down. They want you to think about all the bad stuff, the hard stuff. They want you to be afraid. We have an enemy who entraps us, enslaves us, who who discourages us by constantly building fear. And he uses things like the, uh, the media and government to do that. But we as Christians know that King Jesus is sitting on his throne, reigning over heaven and earth. He has defeated the enemy. He is going to slay Leviathan. If you've been with us in Isaiah, you know that. And uh, everything that's happening is happening according to his sovereign plan. It's not always pleasant, but it's good. And he is reigning and he is working all things together for the good of his people. So don't be discouraged. Take heart. Trust him and faithfully and joyfully do what he's called you to do today. And enjoy and be thankful for all his blessings, like a good cup of coffee, a great spouse, family, friends. Make sure that you uh, pay attention to all of his blessings. So it's a good day. Ah, and I can taste and see the Lord is good just by having a sip. All right, so as we uh, continue in Isaiah... Uh, have you seen the movie The Sixth Sense? Uh, it's a pretty old movie, 20, 20 years old maybe, give or take. Uh, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, I'm going to give it away here, so you might want to fast forward a little, you know, 30 seconds or so. And, <laughs> and uh, But I, I don't really feel the need to avoid a spoiler alert for a song that's, or a, a movie that's been out for, I don't know, 20 years. But... Uh, when you get to the end of the sixth sense, uh, the movie with Bruce Willis and that famous meme, the famous uh, gif that still goes around, I see dead people, you know that one. Um, at the end, you find out that the main character is, in fact, dead. When you learn that piece, it changes everything. And they did a really good job in the movie, uh, at least for me, of not giving that away so that it was rather startling uh, to discover at the end that this character all the way through is is dead. And he's been interacting with people. He's been interacting with his wife and, and others. And so then what do you do? In a movie like this, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings as well when you, when you find out who Aragorn really is and Strider and all that. Now, like in The Sixth Sense, when you realize that Bruce Willis's character is dead, now you have to go back and watch it again to see how could he have been dead through all of it and what was really happening. And then you begin to notice things like when he's talking to his wife, she's not talking back to him. She's... she's talking to him as though he were there, but now you realize she's not seeing him, right? There's this interchange at, a, at an anniversary, a date, 
um, uh, celebration, anniversary celebration, where he shows up at the table and she's sitting there and he's talking to her and she's talking to him. But then you realize, oh, she's not really talking to him because he's not there, but she's sad and forlorn and talking as though he were there. So it's just fascinating. Now it changes the perspective on everything to go back and, and watch the movie with that piece of information. Well, that's kind of like the experience the Apostle Paul had when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Right? He was a Pharisee. He was a devout student of the Old Testament. He knew it inside out and backwards. He had a great zeal for God's truth. So much so that he was willing to put to death Christians because he was convinced that they were false teachers and blasphemers and, and uh, promoting this Jesus guy who was a fraud. And then Jesus shows up and strikes him blind at high noon with a light that was brighter than the sun and reveals himself to Paul. And now Paul has to go back and read the Old Testament and reread it and ponder it again and again, trying to figure out now that Jesus, now that he knows that Jesus is the Messiah, what does this mean for the Old Testament? All these things that he thought he knew, it, it was all turned upside down. Now he's he's got the the key, now he's got to go back and unlock all those passages that he he thought he understood and reread them in light of Jesus. So we're going to look at Isaiah 27 again, some of the passages, some of the verses we've already looked at, and then we'll get to some new territory there. And then we're going to see a little bit of how Paul read this section from Isaiah 27 in light of Christ, which is exactly how we all need to be reading the Old Testament. So here's some of the ground that we covered, and uh, and let's just use it as a launching pad for uh, Romans 11. Hey, Tim, good uh, morning to you, although it's evening, I think, for you, isn't it? All right, so chapter 27, verse 7. Like the striking of him who has struck them, has he struck them? Remember, we, we talked about this, those pronouns kind of get in the way a little bit, but what Isaiah is asking, what he's seeing here in this vision is, God struck all these nations. He, he slew them. Did he also strike Jacob, his own people? Or like the slaughter of his slain, have they been slain? God slays his enemies. Has he also slain Jacob, his people? The answer is yes. Yes, he did. You contended with them by banishing them, by driving them away. With his fierce wind, he has expelled them on the day of the east wind. So Isaiah has this vision of God punishing his people, slaughtering them, sending them away into exile. So basically those who are not killed are driven off and no longer occupying the holy city. He goes on, Therefore, through this, Jacob's iniquity will be atoned for. If you were with us last week, you know that forgiven is, is the wrong word. Uh, the point is not so much forgiveness as atonement for their sins. And remember, we talked about how atonement 
does not mean forgiven. If you missed that one, I think it was Friday. No, we, I wasn't here on Friday, Thursday. I think it was the most recent one. Um, I'm not going to go all over it again today, but you need to go back and watch that video and see that atonement does not equal forgiveness. Very important to see that. He's here still talking about God's judgment and destruction and, and slay, slaying <laughs> of Jacob. Okay? So through this, through through banishing them and destroying the city, that's how Jacob's iniquity is going to be atoned for. And this will be the full price of the, remember this word is not pardon in the Hebrew, it's removing or taking away of his sin. How is God taking away Jacob's sin? What is the full price for the taking away of Jacob's sin? It's the destruction of the city and the slaughter of most of the people. And as we will see here, the destruction of the temple. Very different. This is not Jesus dying on the cross, bringing forgiveness. That is not what Isaiah is seeing here. Okay? And that's why I wanted to point out that forgiving and pardoning, those are, those are not great translations of these words because it makes you think this is talking about rescue and salvation. It's not. It's talking about judgment. When he makes all the altar stones like pulverized chalk stones, these would be the stones in the temple. And that's why I say it's, this is a judgment scene. He's going to take those altar stones and he's going he's to pulverize them. He's going to have them wiped out. If you are hearing echoes of Jesus saying, not one stone will be left upon another, then you are connecting the dots. He says, when ashram and incense altars will not stand, the idolatry that Israel has been committing, no more. It's all going to be wiped out. And then he goes on. For the fortified city is isolated. Right? Remember earlier in Isaiah, he saw how the people, as, as the enemies were encroaching, they, they fortified their city. They, they took down their houses and reinforced their walls and gates. And they were convinced that they could withstand the enemy. And then they kind of said, you know, que sera, sera. If we can't, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So we did our part. We, we trust in our defenses. We don't trust in God. We're not seeking God here. We trust in our defenses. And if we end up losing, then we lose. So let's, let's party. Well, Isaiah here is seeing that the fortified city is isolated, a homestead forlorn and forsaken like the desert. See how this is not the context of forgiveness. It's judgment. There the calf will graze. There it will lie down and feed on its branches. So the city's going to be run over with wild animals because there's no civilization there anymore. When its limbs are dry, they are broken off. Now, just for those of you with lightning minds, does this conjure up anything? When the limbs are dry, they are broken off. We'll see if anybody has an answer. We'll come back to that in a minute. Women come and make fire with them, with these branches that are broken off, for they are not a people of discernment. The Jews are not a discerning people. 
Therefore, their maker will not have compassion on them. See, I'm telling you, this is not a forgiveness, pardoning passage. This is a judgment. God is not having compassion on them. And their creator will not be gracious to them. Yeah, so Tim got it. So with that in the background, let's go through a little bit in Romans 11. And I'm, I, I did a whole series on this called uh, What About Israel? It's a, on YouTube, so you can go back and watch that whole series. And we walk right through every verse of Romans 9 through 11. So I'm not going to do that here. Uh, but I want to grab a few of the concepts from Isaiah 27 and show you that Paul is now reading Isaiah as a Christian. Right? His whole world was turned upside down. Paul was, again, this thriving Jew, a Pharisee. He, he was a leader of the Jewish people. And he was zealous and he was waiting for the Messiah and convinced that when Messiah comes, he is going to overthrow the Roman government and bring all of the promises of Israel to fruition. And he was, he was excited for that. And he was convinced Jesus was a liar and a, and a fraud. And then he sees the risen Lord and, and that changes everything. So now he's got to reread the Old Testament and see how does this apply to Jesus? How are these things pointed to Jesus? Well, we've seen all the way through this section of Isaiah starting back in 2023, 20, and in some ways going back to even chapter 13. We see this in that day, in that day idea, and we see messianic promises throughout. And one of the struggles we have as interpreters is trying to figure out what is that day? We know that it, Jesus used this term, and, and it, it seems like that day points to the coming of Christ, Jesus. But then other things seem to point to the fall of Jerusalem in 586, and, and uh, some, some have even suggested, you know, is there a dual fulfillment kind of thing? And, and, and maybe 586 being the first and 70 AD being the second, or is it... Um, well, I don't want to. I don't want to get all all of that at this point. But Paul has to go back and read and reread all the Old Testament to see how it points to Jesus. And he lands somewhere. Well, he lands somewhere on all of it. But here, especially in Romans eleven, he is showing us what Isaiah twenty seven is about, at least in part. Look at this. He's talking here about. Oh, where do I want to start? Do I even want to go back further? All right, I'm going to go back just a little bit further. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to do this. Here I am again. Okay. What then? What Israel is seeking it has not obtained. Those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. So this falls in line very well with all that we've seen in Isaiah. There is a remnant. There are some of God's people who were faithful, who believed, and they received God's promises. The rest, God is going to slay. Right? He's going to destroy them banish them into exile. Well, Paul is saying that's true of his day. So he sees, as Jesus taught, the final fulfillment of all of these things we're seeing in Isaiah in the first century. And again, if this is new to you, you've got to go back and watch the whole series, uh, What About Israel? Because we walk all through this. So Isaiah is seeing that in his own day, he would call himself, Paul would call himself one of the chosen one of the remnant who received the promised righteousness in the Messiah, 
but then so many, the, the majority of his Jewish brothers of the first century were the hardened ones that God was going to destroy. And remember, Romans was written just a few years before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So he's anticipating that destruction of Jerusalem. And he quotes here from the Psalms and some other places. I'm going to skip on here. Uh, did Isaiah, did Isaiah, uh, did Israel, did they stumble so as to fall? No, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. The transgression here is by the Jews rejecting Jesus. So they're hardened. The Jews of the first century are hardened. They reject Jesus. That's the transgression. Salvation comes to the Gentiles. Right? So that's the flow of history. The gospel is for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for the Gentile. And Paul is saying, for as the Jews reject, the Jews of his day reject Jesus, now the gospel is going to the Gentiles. We're going to see that at the end of Isaiah here in a minute. He goes on and explains this further. I need to uh, just move ahead here for time. So look at this. If some of the branches were broken off, do you remember that? We just read this, right? When its limbs are dry, they are broken off. This is Isaiah 27, 11. And women came and make a fire with them. Paul grabs that imagery. If some of the branches were broken off, and he's writing to Gentiles, so that some of the branches, that would be the Jews, they were broken off the tree. And you Gentiles, Romans, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the root of the olive tree. So just stop there for a minute. So you've got the, the, the olive tree, the branches broken off, and Gentiles being grafted in. All right, so he's, he's grabbing, he's, he's sort of playing with this metaphor that's in Isaiah 27, when God destroys Jerusalem, the limbs are broken off and they're they're burned with fire. The women use them to cook with. He grabs that imagery and says, "You, the Jews were broken off, and the Gentiles are grafted in." And he says he warns the Romans here, "Don't be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember it's not you who supports the root, but the root supports you." You will say then, "The branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in." God broke off the Jews so that he can graft in the Gentiles. And Paul says, you're right. Yes. They were broken off for their unbelief. Right? That's what God has been saying all through Isaiah. Their unbelief, which led to idolatry. They didn't depend on him. They didn't reach out to him. They didn't trust in him because they were unbelieving people and they committed idolatry. You stand by your faith, but do not be conceited. Fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, the Jews, he will not spare you either, the Gentiles. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. All right, and uh, he goes on with this. Uh, so then he says here, all Israel will be saved. And he quotes here from Isaiah 59. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with him, all from Isaiah 59. We'll get there someday. We'll get there one of these days and we'll see why Paul grabs this. But remember, he's, he's applying this in his day in the mid-60s A.D. So he sees all of this. He said, 
back here uh, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fulfillment of the Gentiles or the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So God breaks off the Jews. He's incorporating Gentiles, right? And Israel is going to be saved. Where does he get this idea that all Israel will be saved? Hold that thought. Then he quotes from Isaiah 27 right here. When I take away their sins. That's this phrase right here. And this is why I made a big deal the other day that pardoning of his sin is a, is a bad translation. This will be the full price of God's taking away Jacob's sin. When I take away their sins, this is this exactly the same phrase in the Greek translation of this right here, when I take away their sins. This is the fall of Jerusalem. He's going to make the altar stones pulverized rock stones. Paul quotes that right here in Romans 11. This is the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD that he's seeing. So then what comes next? This describes further the destruction of Jerusalem. It's going to be desolate because there's not going to be people left there. Then look what he says. In that day, here it's the context of the fall of Jerusalem, which Paul sees as future. Do you see that here in Romans 11? He sees the fall of Jerusalem in his future. And he quotes from Isaiah 27, which describes the fall of Jerusalem. He describes it in the context of his, Paul's, future. Well, we know what happened in 70 AD. God wiped out Jerusalem for the final time. So Isaiah 27, Paul interprets as predicting the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So what else is going to happen then? In that day, the Lord will start his threshing. And he's going to start beating the trees and removing the fruit. When? In that day. From the flowing stream of the Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, and you will be gathered up one by one, O sons of Israel. I think this is the kind of thing where Paul gets that concept of all Israel will be saved in Romans 11. Now, we talked about in that series, if you go back and, and look at chapter 9 where it begins, he says not all Israel is Israel. So this is not, this never meant to indicate that every single descendant of Jacob is going to be saved. But he makes a big deal that not all of Israel, not all of the physical descendants of, of Israel, of Jacob, are the children of promise. But all who are promised, all of the elect, they are the ones who will be saved, every one of them. And guess what? They're not just in the land of Israel. So he says, in that day, threshing will start from the flowing stream of the Euphrates to the book of e uh, brook of Egypt. This was, uh, in Genesis, this was the uh, boundaries of the promised land. And God's going to gather up the sons of Israel. It will come about also in that day that a great trumpet will be blown. In what day? Seems like in the context here, it's in the day when God destroys Jerusalem. A great trumpet will be blown. Those who were perishing in the land of Assyria. Right? This is a heathen land. And those who were scattered in the land of Egypt, these are two great enemy nations of the Jews. 
There's going to be a great trumpet blown, and they will come and worship the Lord in the holy mountain of Jerusalem. So God's going to call his people from the territories of the enemies, and they're going to come worship the Lord. This is the same kind of terminology we've seen all through Isaiah, even back to chapter 2, that his holy mountain is going to be lifted up above all the other mountains, and the nations are going to stream to Zion. Now Isaiah is seeing that at this time after the destruction of Jerusalem when the great trumpet is blown. Let me make one more connection that we, if, if you were with us in that Israel series, you, you know where I'm going here. Let me make one more connection here and then I'll take a look at a couple of the comments that came in here. Jesus, Jesus says, in the context of the fall of Jerusalem, and the destruction of the temple. He says, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, then all the tribes of the earth, and if you've been with us in Isaiah, you know that earth here is simply the word for land, which he's been using it to describe the land of Judah, not everybody in the whole globe. Sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and the tribes of the land will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of sky with power and great glory. We looked at that, how that is uh, quoting from Daniel uh, 7, when the Son of Man enters the throne. I, I take that to be the ascension when he gets his kingdom. So I don't think this is our future. And so when he inherits his throne, when he takes his throne, the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days in the clouds with power and glory, and all the tribes of the land of Judah are going to mourn he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the one end of the sky to the other. I think what Isaiah is seeing here is the gospel going out to the nations after the destruction of Jerusalem to call God's people to faith in Jesus. It's the great commission. Go disciple the nations baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I commanded. Jesus says this is going to happen. The Jerusalem's going to fall. He's going to receive his kingdom. He's going to sound the great trumpet, and the angels are going to go and gather all of the elect from the four winds. And then he says here, Matthew 24, 34, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Within a generation of Jesus, Jerusalem fell people of the Jews were wiped out, most of them. And since that day, the gospel has continued to permeate every nation under earth. Now, I know if you've, if this is new to you, this is, uh, is going to seem kind of crazy. I would again exhort you to go back and watch that series, What About Israel? But we know, we know at least one verse of Isaiah 27 is talking about the fall of Jerusalem because Paul quotes it and tells us, that it's coming soon. Jesus says this is going to happen in his generation and uses similar language. All right, so let me see. Tim said here, is there any connection to John 15 and branches broken from the vine? You know, maybe. Uh, that's an interesting uh, question. We're go- we'll get to that in the John course that, uh, that you're auditing. Um, uh, it is interesting, isn't it? Abide in me, he says, and you'll bear fruit, and the ones who don't abide in me will be broken off. Um he seems to be making 
a similar point to what we saw earlier in Isaiah about Jacob bearing fruit. So I think so. I think so. And we'll, we'll explore that a little bit more uh, again in the John class. Lon says, uh, their transgression is a rejection of Jesus. Yes. So the ultimate sin is rejection of Jesus and not their disobedience in general. Uh, in Romans 11, in that context, yes, the transgression is rejecting Jesus. And remember, this is exactly what, uh, what Jesus said as well in John 5. He said, uh, Moses is going to judge you, Pharisees, because Moses wrote about me. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. And he said, I, on Judgment Day, I don't even need to judge you. I won't be the one that judges you. Moses is the one who will judge you because Moses wrote about me and you don't believe him. You search the scriptures thinking that you would have eternal life in the scriptures. And in fact, you would because they point to me, but you don't believe me. Instead, you're trying to kill me. So yeah, uh, that's, that's the point that John, uh, Jesus made in John 5. And that's the point that uh, Jesus is making there in Romans 11. Uh, that is the Jews' greatest sin is uh, uh, the rejection of Jesus as Messiah. Lon follows up, says something about the world today as well. Right. Someone asked me the other day in the, uh, in the John study we're doing at NCST, um, is the Jews' only sin, or every, anybody, is, is the only sin we're going to be judged by, is that rejecting Jesus? Is that the only sin? The answer is no. Uh, according to, you know, as the scripture talks about the books being opened and we've got all of our sins there laid out on judgment day for an unbeliever, um, all those sins come into the judgment. But remember, believing the gospel is a command. Uh, we, we talk about it being an offer, you know, we're offering the gospel and sharing the gospel and, and you know, that's fine as far as it goes. But in the, in the New Testament, it's portrayed as a command. Repent and believe. Those are in the imperative mood in the, in the New Testament. God's calling all men everywhere to bow the knee to Jesus. And of course, we know they will someday, but those who do it before the end will be forgiven and those who wait will be too late. So the greatest sin is to reject Jesus as the Messiah and the Savior and the Lord. Um, and that's going to be at the top of the list of things that the world is, is guilty of. So yeah, good, good observation there. All right, our time is up. Uh, thank you, folks. Uh, Reflect on these things and uh, just be thinking about the gospel now, the, the trumpet being sounded and the gospel going out to the nations and talk to someone about Jesus today. All right, have a good one and we will see you tomorrow. God bless.